and also changes to our lives, doesn't it? We might well say life is never really the same again. Now Christmas is nearly here and we can see the Christmas decorations and the beautiful singing has reminded us of this in the readings. We remember at Christmas, don't we, and celebrate the birth of a special baby. Now he is special, Jesus, and yet he is also as human as you and I. And this morning I'd like to think with you about what's so special about this baby and why he brings joy and changes to our lives. Well, his specialness is revealed in how he is described, the titles given to him. Around 700 years before Christ, there was a prophet from God, his name was Isaiah, and he foretold about this baby, this special person who would come into the world one day. He said five important things about him in particular in the passage that we heard. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. So he will be and is a great king, a great ruler. Doesn't the world need a ruler who will rule with justice and fairness? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, Wonderful Counselor, if you like, Wonderful Advisor, or today we might say Wonderful Life Coach, or Terrific Life Coach. And those who know the Lord Jesus do know that the more they have learned, we have learned to take our problems to him and ask his counsel, the more he can sort things out and give wise advice to us. Mighty God, he is not only wise, but he is divine. He is in very nature God. Everlasting Father. Well, we all need a father or a father figure to look up to for love, for protection, provision, guidance, discipline. But all earthly fathers, don't I know it personally, fall short and all eventually die. We need an everlasting father. And those who know the Lord Jesus have found in him the everlasting father because the Father is in Jesus the Son. Jesus said, The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Prince of Peace, and those who know the Lord Jesus have found a harmony and peace beginning to occur in their relationships and indeed within themselves. Through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God and that is the foundational peace that is so essential. And what a blessing to have this peace with God.
Now this was the sort of person that Isaiah the prophet foretold would come. He knew these important things about this special person, but he didn't know exactly when he would come. And then in the fullness of time, there was a young woman called Mary, or in Hebrew, Miriam, and she was told by an angel sent by God that she would give birth to a, a baby boy and was to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the angel told Mary. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now hearing this, Mary asked this question, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so Jesus had a human mother and a divine father. He would be son of Mary and son of God, equally divine and human, fully both. It's interesting and sad that over the centuries of church history, most heresies have denied one or the other of those facts or both. Well, there was one heresy called Docetism, according to which it was believed that Jesus was fully divine, but not fully human, only appearing to be a human. The word Docetism means a mask or appearing to be something you are not. At the opposite end, there was another Christian heresy whose adherents believed that he was fully human, but never fully divine. But the full Christian truth is that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. As a human, he had a beginning. As a divine person, he had no beginning. In short, Jesus was both creator and creature. And you could say this, before he had made the chairs as a carpenter, he had made the trees as the creator. In the beginning, he was the creator and he became a creature within his own creation. Wow. If you deny either of those two truths, you miss the essential truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. If we once lose the faith that Jesus is fully God and fully man, something will go terribly wrong with our faith. He was equal with God and he chose to be a man. John, in the opening sentences of his gospel, calls the Son of God, Jesus, the Word. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And John in his first letter also teaches, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Saviour of the world. Now Cheryl was in Big W and she was looking at a few children's books on the Christmas story. In one of them she read these words, Jesus came to help save the world. She told me about it, but then she added, no, he doesn't help save the world, implying there could be other helpers. He is the saviour of the world. And so in due course, in the fullness of time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And the angels made the great announcement to some shepherds who were really at the, in those days on the lower ranks of society. How appropriate that shepherds come to the shepherd of our souls, the one who came to look and die for his lost sheep. And this was the announcement. Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And so that's what makes this baby special, who he is and what he came to be, the saviour of the world. So let's just think a little bit about the salvation this person brings. What sort of saviour is Jesus? Well, he's the saviour who will go to the root of humanity's ills, who will heal, restore our broken relationship with God, and until that's mended, life will never be what it could be and should be because we are here to know God and his love and to love and obey God. And it will take no less than God himself to get us out of the mess that we've got ourselves into. And so to save man, God became man in the person of his son. He didn't stay up there in heaven and say, well, look, you come and find your way up to me. But he came right down to where we are, in fact, in our skin even, and said, I am the way, come to the Father by me but to heal, restore, reconcile this broken relationship with God the Father, more was needed than the cradle. The cross was needed. The Son of God also needed to die for our sins, our wrongs, our rebellion, our alienation from God, so that we can be forgiven 
and declared right by God. And God acted to save us in this way, not because of any good things we may have done, but because of his mercy. And mercy is to get what we don't deserve, and so the cradle led to the cross. God is rich in mercy and great in love. Now today there are people who are very concerned about purifying the planet from pollution and carbon emissions. But who, what, can purify the people of the planet? Let me read Paul's teaching in the letter to Titus that we had heard read. Our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Well, that's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, when we think of a saviour, we might think of someone who saves us from something and for something. For example, if I was swimming in Horseshoe Bay and I got into trouble and I began to sink, and if a lifesaver there saw me and jumped in and he swam out and he pulled me to shore, he would have saved me from drowning for living. What does Jesus save us from and for? Paul teaches in this reading that he gave himself to redeem or free us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself. Saved from sin for the Saviour. Purified from sin for a person, Jesus, to belong to him and are eager to do what is good. So good deeds, good actions, good life comes from our relationship with the Lord, from our faith in him as our Lord and Saviour. Now this from and this for of our salvation is also brought out in the beginning of this Titus passage. Let me reread it. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this world. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus. Let's just think a little bit about this grace and what this word grace means. There's a story about a vicar who invited the archbishop for lunch after the Sunday service. Now sometimes archbishops are called formally your grace. And the vicar told his family, now you must remember before you address the archbishop, you are to say your grace. So when the bishop came in and was introduced to his little girl, she said, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. <laughs> but the word grace, although it can be used as a little prayer before a meal, is not what the Bible means by this word grace. 
I'm told that in England the Crown owns a number of properties and some of those are leased out rent-free to members of the royal family and friends of the Queen. And these homes are called Grace and Favour Residences. So a Grace and Favour Residence is a house rent-free for you, a gift from the monarch. It is a favour done for someone else as a free gift. But the biggest flavour of this word grace is that it is a free gift given to people who don't deserve it. So it's not like a wage you earn or deserve and you can't earn grace and you can't merit it. But grace is not only offered to people who don't deserve it, but it's offered to people who've done everything not to deserve it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is offered to his enemies. Listen to Paul's teaching in Romans. At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son and so the grace of God has appeared in Jesus and that brings salvation to all people who will receive it well, how did it appear? In his coming, but supremely in his cross and resurrection. And so God loved us before we loved him, and Christ died for us before we ever felt the need for anyone to do that. Grace means in Jesus God took the initiative and the first step in fixing up our broken relationship with God. Do you know this grace of God? Have you received this grace of God? Do you know the forgiveness of your sins and peace with God? If you don't, I appeal to you in the name of Jesus to take the Lord Jesus as your Saviour. Now this grace of God that has appeared in Jesus for our salvation teaches us or trains us, is another version, says Paul, to say no or to renounce one life lifestyle and yes to another. Negatively, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions or if you like, godless living and sinful pleasures but positively grace trains us to seek three things to live self-controlled upright and godly lives well here's a three-dimensional life towards ourselves self-control towards others uprightness and towards god godliness and the grace of God in Jesus for our salvation trains us in this way. Friends, could we each ask ourselves, is the grace of God having this effect 
in my life. There is an appeal in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvellous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Yes, the birth of this baby Jesus, this person, gives us the joy of salvation and brings changes to our lives. Now, this reading from Titus also mentions another coming of Jesus. We call it the second coming. So let's spend a little time thinking about this as well. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to, see, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, or awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Well, as Christian believers, we live in between the two comings of Jesus, don't we? However, in this reading, the word coming isn't used, but the word appearing is used. We live between the two appearings. The grace of God has appeared. The glory of Christ is going to appear. We look back to one and we look forward to the other. And as we go about our daily lives from Sunday to Saturday, these two thoughts can help keep us on the straight and narrow path. The grace that has already appeared and the glory that is going to appear. When will the Lord Jesus appear in glory? The short answer is we don't know. It is the Father's secret. He told his disciples. But... Of that day, not an hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Again, Jesus told them, Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. But what if we are to say to ourselves, well, the Lord's pretty slow in coming, isn't he? Let me read something Peter teaches in his second letter. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so time is different to God. To God who's always been there, 
a thousand years is really just like from breakfast to supper time. And 2,000 years is really only like a weekend to him. And there is a particular reason why God is delaying the return of his son. And the reason is he wants more people in his family. <laughs> he wants more people to repent and believe in his son Jesus and accept this salvation. He doesn't want any to perish. So every day, really, is another opportunity to repent. If the coming of the Lord Jesus seems slow to you and me, consider it like this. It is his mercy. Why is Jesus coming again? Or what's going to happen when he comes, when he appears? Well, it's a very big subject, isn't it? But I'd just like to simply try and put three things across this morning. He, he will appear to complete, to condemn, and to conquer. To complete his people, to condemn the ungodly, and to conquer the devil. To complete his people. Now we could think of it like this, A, B, C. Just as B and C follow A, two things will follow his appearing. So A for appearing and B for body and C for character. When Christ appears, we shall have a new body like his glorious resurrection body and we shall be like him in character. We shall be conformed to his image. Our salvation will be complete. Let me read from the Bible about this. When he appears, we will have a new body. Paul teaches in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. And in 1 Corinthians 15 we hear this. Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed and so we will be like Christ in that we will have a resurrection body but we will also be like him in character in John's first letter we hear this Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Christ will come to complete, and he'll come to condemn. Condemn the ungodly, to divide or separate the evil from the righteous. He told his disciples, 
At the close of the age, he will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And Christ will come to conquer the devil, the ultimate father of deception, wars, hatred, suffering. Now by his cross and resurrection, Christ has already freed us who believe in him from the rule of the devil. But this victory will be complete when he comes. You see, when he comes, the devil will have to go. The devil's days are numbered and his doom is decided and dated and his end, we are told, is to be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone to be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the Lord Jesus is coming to complete us, to condemn the ungodly and to conquer now to conclude, <coughs> let's reflect on being ready for his coming. His coming. And each letter of that little word, his, can remind us of something important that goes with readiness. H, holiness. I, individual faith. S, service. Holiness. Well, John in his first letter says, we've just heard the words, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. But he does add these words, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure, or will purify themselves just as he is pure. <coughs> If you are expecting to see Christ and to be like him, you and I will start getting ready now if we really expect this. You and I will get busy on getting rid of any pollution in our lives and character now. Now Peter in his second letter to Christians says much the same thing. He teaches the coming of the Lord and the new heavens and earth that God has promised. It will be a world filled with only righteousness, God's righteousness. And he says, in view of this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Again, he says to Christians, Therefore, beloved, since you wait for these, be zealous to be found by him, without spot or blemish, and at peace. Well, friends, <coughs> S, I for individual faith, and then S for service. That will finish us off. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples about ten bridesmaids who went to meet the bridegroom. Now, five were wise, but five were foolish, and we're told when the, the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. 
At midnight, the bridegroom came. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise replied, Perhaps there will not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other maidens came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Look, friends, faith, faithfulness, spiritual preparation, readiness cannot be bought or borrowed at the last minute. A faith relationship with the Lord Jesus needs to be one's own. An S for service. Jesus told another parable to his disciples about his coming again and he said, look, in this parable, this is how I want you to uh, get ready. A man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property to each according to his ability. When he returned, he commended some. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the one who had done nothing with what his master had entrusted to him heard him say, Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Friends, the returning Lord looks to reward those who are faithful and fruitful in his service, those who give him some return on his investment in them. He will be pleased to promote them and share his joy with them. And the quality of service is also important to the Lord, not just the quantity. Paul teaches in Corinthians, anyone who builds on that foundation, Jesus, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. It has been said, it is not always the busiest who produce the best results. And the Lord is more interested in how we do the job we have than with what job we have, more concerned about character than career. He looks for dependability, not just ability. Faithfulness, faithful service to the Lord Jesus includes our church and gospel service. But it is not limited to that. We can serve the Lord in our families. For some people that is the main way they are serving the Lord or caring for 
their husband or wife or children or someone who needs their help in an ongoing way. We can serve our Lord in our daily work and for some people that's the main way they're using their time. Or in the community and there are plenty of volunteers and those who are serving in that way. But in short, it's where and how the Lord calls us to serve him and that's a very personal thing. I guess we've all heard or most of us have heard of Lord Shaftesbury Apparently he worked very hard to relieve the social conditions of his day in England, the suffering that came with the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. He did it primarily through legislation but many other means. Now he was a Christian man and behind his public efforts lay a constant expectation of Christ's return. Apparently he wrote... On the top of every letter he wrote, Even so come Lord Jesus. That's a prayer to be found on the last page of the Bible. So friends, could we ask ourselves, <clears throat> am I ready for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not really a matter of saying, well, I was last year. Or, look, five years ago, I think I was. Certainly when I was converted, I was. But what about now? How up to date is my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's listen to the appeal given to Christians in John's first letter. And now, dear children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abide in him. In other words, continue in him. Stay with Christ. Remain with him every day of your life. Maintain the spiritual fire. Don't give up. Don't lose our first love. Keep our glow for the Lord. And brothers and sisters, in the very last chapter of the Bible, the Lord Jesus says something three times. You can guess what it is. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. How do each of us respond to that? Is it? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me end with a little illustration. When a scheduled jet comes from somewhere, say, overseas to Adelaide, the controller knows all the details of the flight pattern. He knows exactly when it departed, where it will be at various stages of the flight and when it will arrive. On the other hand, a young lady whose fiancé is on the flight knows only the approximate time of arrival, but she's still joyful at the anticipation of his coming and someone has said I'd rather know very little about the Lord's coming and have a heart full of joyful anticipation than know many of the details about his return and be indifferent the important issue is a joyful heart that is waiting 
in hope. Let us pray that nothing may hinder us from receiving Christ with joy. God of power and mercy, open our hearts in welcome. Remove the things that hinder us from receiving Christ with joy so that we may share his wisdom and become one with him when he comes in glory for he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.